You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholz and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode three of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholz, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line. It is the editor of the Toolstation Western League Bulletin, Mr. Tom Hiscott. Hello, Tom. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. And you? What a weekend I had. Basically, the most interesting thing that happened to me at the weekend was that I volunteered to look after the sh- the the chickens and the goats at the, the local primary school. Okay. Now that is the very definition of hard work. Mm-hmm. Sounds it to be honest. Yeah. Particularly getting the chickens back in their coop at eight o'clock at night. Okay. Um, which is basically like a scene from Rocky. <laughs> Um, so that was, it was incredible. It was incredibly rewarding. I found it sort of did wonders for my mental health, plenty of fresh air, lots of exercise. And actually the animals were absolutely lovely. I've got no love for chickens particularly other than eating them. I have to Mm -hmm. say, seems a little bit harsh given what I was doing. The goats were wonderful. So I, you know, animals sort of doing a little bit of the old, you know, local farmyard i've got a lot of time for it yeah um in between all of that i did get a chance to go and watch some tool well actually i say tool station western league football it wasn't i watched a, an fa cup game between oh, of course. Um, welton rovers yeah and fairham town okay and fairham i have to say was the um the location where the baby knockholds the baby ian was taken after he was born in Portsmouth, so um, Fairham is a is a is a albeit I only lived there for about six or seven years, um, is a is is of historic significance for the Knockholds mm. family, mm. and so it was very interesting to watch that game play out between the Creeksiders, and um, and uh, the Green Army. Unfortunately, it was a little one-sided, and mm. it won't make the director's cut <laughs> this week on the uh, on the podcast. But it was very nice to catch up with a whole host of characters from from well and all lovely people and um so that was a very pleasant way to spend a weekend um right then after that sort of monologue on the soliloquy um i will introduce this week's podcast we have three interviews for you my god what a what an episode it is and um we're going to kick off with a bit of martin cassidy of course from ref support we're talking about the uh love football protect the game initiative which um um if if uh, listeners aren't familiar with, then they will be after this week's episode. Uh, we'll also be talking to Matt Cusack, the manager of Helston Athletic, who had a very good win in the FA Cup. And then in the second part of the podcast, we will be hearing from an old friend of, well, he's an old friend of mine. He's an old friend of yours. He's an old friend of the podcast. He is Ray Johnson, the manager of, um, of Radstock Town. So without any further ado, we're going to kick off this week's episode of the podcast by taking a look at the uh, Love Football Protect the Game initiative um, that was launched just ahead of this season. Now, the English football authorities are introducing a series of measures to help improve the behaviour of players, managers and coaches across the professional National League system and grassroots game. This is known as Love Football Protect the Game. Behaviour towards match officials is a central part of this campaign. So I've spoken to our resident expert, Martin Cassidy from Ref Support, um, to get his take on this latest initiative. And I started by asking Martin if he could explain what Love Football Protect the Game is all about. It's a good move. It's PGMOL as well as the um, the FA have, have got on this. And what's interesting about it is that they brought along in on the journey for the first time the PFA and the LMA, who we've been, particularly I've been saying that, they've been quiet on behaviour at top flight forever. You never hear the PFA come out and say, that was really bad by one of our members. And you never certainly don't see the LMA come out and criticise, you know, Pep Guardiola, Warner, Klopp, all these other people that are um, getting up to silly pantomime antics on the side of the line. So, I think um, I think it's I think it could be a game changer, but I think it's going to be up to the mass officials to deliver what this states now. I think for too long, mass officials have been guilty of you know trying to manage the game, particularly the top flight, yeah, without you know not getting mandatory cards out, not getting mandatory red cards out for, for certain, particularly with some of the comments that uh, people are making on the fields of play. So, yeah, I can see this being a, um, being a bit of a hard love. 
for some players and managers for the coming season. What sort of um, behaviour is it that this initiative is designed to crack down on? Well, if you if you let's just go back to the most recent high profile one, which was Jose Mourinho, wasn't it? I know this was a European competition, but you know, let's just use that as a as a as a, a, a base to start. It was clear, absolutely clear, from the beginning of that game that their antics was was to get in the face of the mass officials at every single step of the way. Get in the face, be demonstrative, wave your arms, shout, scream, run at them. And this is this is on the sidelines, in the bench, as well as on the pitch. So clearly, you know, that was allowed to escalate. I think it, there was a record broken by Anthony Taylor that day for the amount of cards he gave. But I think everyone in football would have said that he could have done them a lot of them earlier, and he could have done a lot more. And I think what 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 the tough flight referees have been guilty of. And in in a sense, I don't blame them. Is that you know they they were just allowing people a bit too much rope to have a pop at them. I think we can go back game after game after game and see what how people's antics are getting in referees' faces and the card isn't getting out. The surrounding players now, so now the FA is expecting if that happens with two players, at least one booking, at least a booking needs needs to be delivered. So that's a positive sign. And I think what's happened now is is that the PGMOL and 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 certainly the FA, I think because players and managers just aren't playing ball, and last last season was particularly bad, wasn't it? I think they've drawn a line in the sand and said, you know, if you don't play ball, you're going to go. I think it's as simple as that. And I think that needs to be reflected at every level of the game, which that's what that's what this is about. And I think referees have been a little bit inconsistent and a little bit mild in how they deliver their misconduct for various reasons. From a Western League level, I think it's... Um, Club marks are a big indicator on on you know, referees getting promoted. They're not in the top two bands, minimum, A and B. They're not going to get promoted. So maybe they're letting let you know uh, players and managers get away with stuff because they some feel, and I know this is this is factual, that if they do do the job properly and robustly, that they won't get a good mark and they won't get promoted. And then also you have assessors now who um, are going to be expecting more cards as per this charter. So it's going to be some, uh, I I think it's going to be a, a big culture shift that, that is necessary. And I think even, even this week, we're not, what, what, not even two weeks into the season and people are going on Twitter, normal culprits from the Southwest going on and slagging off referees. We're in, we're in days of this charter being announced. So they're still not listening. And I just think, the FA and, and the PGMOL, as long as they ensure that there was a match officials are back in it, then and they support them and they're not getting bad marks because they've sent off three and, and booked five because of their behaviour, then that needs support. That needs support. And I think I think everyone in the game wants it, apart from the main culprits who just think referees are first game and a fair game and go on Twitter when they want, act like they want on on, on a pitch. And I just think I think the line's drawn now, and and and, I, and certainly I think our sacked. If we if we see referees not doing that, I think I think it's up to us to be able to point that out to the match officials and say, "Well, hang on a sec." Our web said this. The FA have said this. Why aren't you doing it? And I think that that'd be fair. One of the interesting things from our conversations, Martin, is obviously you're very conscious of of the image of the game at the very peak of the professional level and how that filters down. To all levels of football, including obviously what we see in the in the in the tool station Western League. And when I first read this statement from the FA, I was interested to see that they differentiate between steps one to four of the National League system and they have a separate section for steps five and six. And of course, steps five and six is what we what where we sit uh, as the tool station Western League. So in terms of Western League matches, how does this initiative translate to our games because clearly we don't have the thousands, the tens of thousands of people in the stadium, but of course the match officials are still experiencing challenging behaviour from some supporters, definitely, but also from managers and players as well. Yeah, and I just think they need to just come down hard on it. Not, not. You know, it's easy for me to say now that I'm, I'm not a referee anymore, but due to injury. But I think just do your job. I don't want to sound like Roy Keane here, but just do your job. And 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 the FA. And now saying they will back you. The only weak point of this, from a two-station Western League point of view, is that the clubs can mark the the referees down. 
for that reason. And I think if, if that gets stopped and the FA go back and say, actually, we're not accepting that club mark because the referee's done his job, I think you'll find it'll change. The technical areas, you know, they must behave in a reasonable manner. They must comply with the number of staff and substitutes that are allowed for the competition. All these are meeting two veg. This should be already in place. But honestly, I know what it is that the, some of these referees are scared that if they do their job properly and they caution all the one, all the gobby ones, you know, all the ones that are you know behaving in, in a manner that's unacceptable, that their promotion will is in jeopardy. So that that's the weak point of all of this. I I I know for a fact because I've seen some of the club marks that's gone into the FA, and there's been ridiculous comments like you know the referee was just pandering to the assessor. And like they'd give him like you know a forty, which could kill a referee's season, and the FA just accept it. And I I fought hard, long and hard at the FA to say no, we can't accept this. We've got to protect referees. If they're going to do the job. We've got to support them as a national governor body. I think that's been missing for years. I don't think it is anymore. I really genuinely believe that the FA will say no, no, sorry, we're not accepting that club mark. You know, and having that sort of power to do that hasn't been clarified. But I think that's the only way this is going to work. Referees get protected. Do you have any concerns about um, how match officials are going to um, be expected to deliver on this new initiative at the Tool Station Western League level? Because as I mentioned before, our games are a much more intimate environment. And and as you and I have spoken before, a lot of the match officials live and work around the areas that they're mm. refereeing, around the people that they're refereeing. So if the expectation is that actually bad behaviour will no longer be tolerated, that's one thing when you're in a massive stadium and you're on the television. But actually, if you're in a very, you know, an intimate clubhouse with only a a few dozen people around you, that can be quite an intimidating environment, can't it? Yeah, I've seen it for myself. I've been uh, coaching referees and I've seen the behaviour of these people who just think they can say and do what they want in a bar to a match official. I just look what we had towards the end of last season where there was a, a referee going home from a game, his window was down on his car, and someone threw a pint of lager through the window on him. You know, where else in the, in the world would that be accepted? Now, I'm not sure that fellow was ever identified. We know who he was. I'm not sure what happened with the, with the FA and, and the team involved. But that's the sort of unacceptable behaviour that doesn't surprise referees. These things happen. They've got to stop. We've got to go hard on people, and we've got to... You know, just be able to protect referees from these idiots who, who, who are affecting the game, even though they're a minority. The, they seem to have a far bigger effect than the good people in the game. And I think some of the good people involved in, in the Western League, there is many, many, many of them, I think they need to stand up as well and say, look, we're not having that. We're not having those players playing for us. We're not having, you know, because you're only a couple of steps away from bringing in points deduction when when there's regular, you know, p- offenders. I think our suge- that was our suggestion. And our suggestion on that was to bring it in immediately. If you're found guilty of a, of abusing a referee through the discipline process, I think the club should lose points. And then what will happen is the clubs will then, and we're only one step away from this, you know. This isn't like last year, everyone was laughing at us when we suggested this. This is in place now. This is this could happen. Is that the clubs will take responsibility for the idiots they have who will behaving like this within their clubs, within their stadiums. And and the winner will be the two station Western League if they all embrace this because the idiots won't be able to play. One of the interesting things as well I noticed in the um, announcement was it made reference to the, the 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 subject that you and I have spoken about many times, which is body cams. That does mm. that seems to be an important part of this initiative. Yeah, it was, and the FA had their, their launch uh, last week, and they invited me up. Which um, although a lot of people might think I'm. I'm, you know, the defender of the FA in every term because I'm a referees man. It's, I'm not. I've criticised the FA a long, long time, more than I've criticised anybody else, if I'm honest. But the, the change of leadership within the FA, referees department, has now become a much more positive environment for referees. They invited me up. They, we, t- we talked about what they're doing and how they're going to address it. And with the body cams, again, which is a four-year um, campaign by us to get it, to change world football law, and again, the Western League, helped us with that as I've said in the past I again I can see within the coming season this level of football that all three officials will be allowed to wear a body cam the FA have said they're going to, they're going to expand it and more leagues are going to be involved in it this is documented so I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if the Western League were allowed to, to become part of that pilot 
and those match officials were, was wear body cameras. And I bet you you'll see an awful, awful big drop in the amount of people that have used referees because it'll, it'll all be evidence. So we get a lot of managers listening to to our podcast, and we also um, we we do get a few players um, who can put up with me and my terrible jokes every week. Um, Every time we go to a game, we see managers and players questioning the decisions that, that match officials are making. With this new initiative in mind and with the breadth of experience that you've got, how would you like to see players and coaches communicate with the referee or the match officials in the game environment? What's the appropriate model? Well, why do you have to? It doesn't happen in any other sport. Why, why, why has football got to be this entitled, we must not need to know what the referee's done that for? Well, what, why? I, I just don't get it. And and when you go abroad to tournaments, like uh, at grassroots level, this is like, I need to talk to you after the game and all that. It doesn't happen in any, any other country. They laugh at us at these tournaments abroad where the, the manager wants to come in and have a word with the referee afterwards. It's just, it seems to be like this culture where, why can't they just let the referee referee? Why? Why? I just don't get it. Well, why do they want to know why he's given stuff for? Or she? I, I I I just don't understand it. What's it going to change? You, you know, if it, whether they agree with it or not, then they're not going to change it. Has, I, 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 has anyone ever seen a referee at a two-station game change the decision because of the, the manager or someone shouted at them? It just doesn't happen. So they just, I just think if people want to have a, a, a better environment uh, where more people come and watch the game, more families will come and watch the game, then just shut up. Just shut up on the sidelines. That's the only advice I would, I would say. They 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 have they have these some like some some teams even change where their home dugout is, depending on who's manager. Because if they're a multi manager, do they really want them to be behind the line all the whole game? If he's a cute manager, talk to Rich Fay long and hard about this. And others baggers is at Bridgewater now, isn't he with, with PSC. Um, if you've got a, a pain in the ass as a manager, do you really want him behind behind the, the line do you know what I mean? And but if you got one who's a bit clever and a bit, you know, cute, maybe you might want him behind them. Do you know what I mean? And there's a reason for that because they know what bad the managers are. So if everyone's aware of it, then sort it out. Just sort it out. I I, I sit in the stands so many times and I'm just laughing at the embarrassment the way some of these managers are behaving. But like I've said, but I see a majority of them at the Western League level. They were really good people. Will let 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 the, the match officials officiate the game, but there seems to be this sort of squeaky wheel effect, isn't it? The squeaky wheel gets up, gets the most oil. That seems to be the opinion of it, you know. And it's like, and even with Rich Fay, I always I always say about Rich Fay when he was just street and, and they didn't. Uh, I think they did a double that year, isn't he? When they, when they won the league, he would document everything about the referee, and he'd give he had this traffic light system on it, red, amber, green. How he rated them personally, and then he'd do things like who was playing. So we'd say that that lad was playing, he got booked. Then look back and they'll say, every time that player plays with that referee, referee, and he gets booked. So he has a strategy to either say to that player, look, shut up, he's booked you every time he does, or he'll drop him. He's very forensic with it. And I think if referees, um, if managers are aware of those sorts of nuances that a certain type of player, trust me, every referee has got a player who they don't get on with. And if that referee doesn't doesn't recognise that and the manager doesn't recognise it, then he's probably going to get booked. And if that player happens to be sent to midfield where the referee can't escape him, then you're going to get booked and you might get two bookings. So it's this sort of thought process where the referees are always the ones to blame. They always want to pick on, but they never think about a strategy for them. They never think, actually, I know what that one's like. Let's let's behave this way. And I think the fact that they've got to change the behaviour because of certain, certain referees, which has happened, I've seen it happen, I've had discussions with managers about it, that tells you it as well, doesn't it? Why why, why can't you just shut... Right back to Darren Perrin and Tom, Tommy Saunders when, when they were in the Western League level with Chippenham and Milksham, very distinctive voices. So they couldn't hide. They couldn't hide because when they said something out of order, everyone knew it was them because the voice was so distinctive. They just don't understand why they would put themselves, people put themselves in that position to pick up cautions, to pick up bands. I mean, just by sh- shut up. Martin, thank you, as always, um, for your time. It's always great to get you on. Um, uh, I can't let you go this time without an opportunity to plug your own podcast. Now, I've, I've really been in, enjoying it. You've had some absolutely fantastic guests. Do you want to tell our listeners um, where they can uh, catch up with your new podcast? 
Yeah, our, our podcast called The Ref Pod. It's on all the normal platforms, YouTube, Apple, Spotify. It really has gone far better than I thought. And we've had some ex-referees on the LHF Winter, Pete Walton. We've had the third highest uh, executive of the FA, Andy Ambler, who's one of the bosses of the referees department, which is really good. We've had ordinary referees on. Want to be able to talk to people on the, on the Western League, so we can get them on it. Even though this is a national and international podcast, and it's all about just like chat, like I just have been a bit. I'm a bit a bit more robust, aren't I? Really, this podcast about like you know just shut up to the to the. To, we don't want to take away the 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 entertainment of the game. There's definitely zones and people. You and I hate using the word passion because like like with Jurgen Klopp, I actually call Jurgen Klopp a Mercedes version of Neil Warnock, and I got a lot of stick because I'm born and bred in Liverpool. But I think everyone knew what I meant. I think everyone knew what I meant. And I just think, do you think Bob Paisley, Shankly, Zaglis, Ronnie Moran, do you think all oh, of them weren't as passionate as Klopp, but they never behaved like Klopp? So I don't buy this passion. And what we talk about on the podcast is passion is the currency that people seem to use to justify referee, referee abuse. So it means think referees aren't passionate. So they don't get up for the game. Just don't see them having a go at managers back, really, do you? And I just think the podcast is all about having that light side of, uh, refereeing and and they're not so light, so it's it's good. And we, you know, I'm I'm searching for people within the, the Western League managers and stuff to uh, come on, but because we had so many high profile guests like Pete Walton, we had him on the day before he was doing the Champions League final for BT Sport. So it was a great insight into into the Champions League final. And we've got other people coming on. We know people from from um, from the FA coming on. Clive Wilkes, if you remember him. Ex Premier League referee, he's coming on. Uh, Phil Dowd, he, he's coming on. So these referees who, who've not long finished, trying to get my team, but I think it's going to be hard. About you know, just talking about our side of the game and how some of the abuse we get affects us. You know, because we bring guests to games too. We've got wives, girlfriends, yeah. daughters, and sons in the stand, hearing that behaviour from those managers and players toward their their, their husbands or, or the mother, because obviously the, the women's game is. Mass, women, mass officials have come from strength to strength. They're getting this. Their kids are seeing them get abused. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just start thinking about more about what you're saying, what you're doing, and and more people come to the game, more people are pay at the gate, and everyone wins. Martin, um, I could listen to you all day, which is one of the reasons why this didn't take the five minutes that I thought it was going to. Um, thank you very <laughs> much indeed for your time, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you later in the season. Thank you, Ian, and best of luck to everyone this year for the coming season from the Tour Station West League. And I'm really pleased that the Tour Station have extended their sponsorship of the league. Well deserved, because the league goes from strength to strength. So well done. And my thanks to Martin for his time. Tom, we will be turning our attention to uh, the FA Cup and those games played on Saturday, August the 5th. Mm. And we're going to kick off at Barnstable Town, where the visitors were Saltash United. Yeah, indeed. Uh, a good home win uh, for the for Barnstable in this one, coming from uh, behind pretty early on. Jack Wood uh, scoring after just five minutes, put the Ashes uh, ahead. Uh, but yeah, Barnstable coming back into it pretty well. 29th minute, they got back on level terms. Callum Laird. Uh, and then just a couple of moments later, Saltash reduced to 10. So obviously that put them up against it somewhat and uh, yeah that proved to be uh, proved to be costly uh, Harry Foster another goal for him uh, recent well off-season signing for, for Barnstable so he put them 2-1 up and then it was Tom Rogers uh, also scoring after the break uh, and it was a Barnstable 3-1 win now moving on to Buckland Athletic against Torpoint Athletic um, these two sides met last week Tom but this was a very different outcome yeah, indeed. Another one of our um, all, all Western League ties uh, in, in the Cup. And it was, uh, yeah, 5-1 win uh, for Buckland. A bit of a rout. And it was, uh, yeah, pretty much second half performance that did the did the business for them. Only one goal uh, separating the sides at the interval. Uh, yeah, but as I say, Buckland were, uh, yeah, very much um, um, by far and away the, the better side after the break. Uh, Sam Morecambe, Ryan Bush, Jared Lewington and Sam State all find in the back of the net. So, yeah. Pretty one-sided affair, and uh, it's Buckland to move on to the next round. Absolutely. Now, um, in a game between uh, current Western League side, Falmouth Town, and a former Western mm. League side currently playing their trade in the Southern League, Exmouth Town, very pleased to say that um, the Western League won. 
Yeah, good scout for for Falmouth coming from behind in this one to to topple Exmouth. Two goals to one. Uh, so yeah, they were behind at the interval, uh, and um, yeah, looking like a an early exit. But yeah, not to be. Tom O'Neill and Luke Brabin both scoring, and to as I say, put put Falmouth um, in the driver's seat, and they held on for a, a pretty impressive two-one win. Now, anything Falmouth can do, Helston Athletic appear to be able to do better. Um, they also took on um, Southern League opponents. Uh, in the form of Will and Rovers. Um, but Helston managed to score three goals, Tom. <laughs> they did, yes. Uh, 3-1 win over, over Willen. So, uh, yeah, top stuff. Uh, another 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 good scout for the Western League. Uh, Helston going ahead in first half stoppage time. Uh, Aaron Bentley heading them home. Uh, heading them in front, sorry. Uh, but then uh, early in the second half, uh, visitors managed to get back on level terms. And that was Doug Camillo uh, firing home. Uh, but yeah, Helston, um, yeah, impressing and uh, yeah, pushing on to, to gain the victory. Jamie Simmons restoring their advantage on the hour mark. Uh, and then it was Curtis Damarell wrapping things up. Uh, another another recent uh, addition for them. And uh, yeah, Helston running out free on winners over Willand. Well, um, it's always a pleasure to speak to Matt Cusack at Helston Athletic. Helston are, of course, a side um, with great aspirations and a side um, that have acquitted themselves very well since they've joined uh, the Tool Station Western League. I expect some big things from them this season. In fact, they achieved some pretty big things last season when they won our Les Phillips Cup. Um, but I kicked off my conversation with Matt by reflecting on that excellent win in the FA Cup against, of course, higher level upper, um, higher level opposition. And I asked him whether that game reinforces his ambitions for promotion this season. Good evening, Ian, and great to speak with you again. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for the compliments regarding the weekend. Um, I do feel that I said to their manager at the end, Steenie, that I do feel that the fact that that was our third competitive game and it was their first competitive game probably gave us an advantage uh, going into it. So, so yeah, we, you know, the win did its best. To, to score the encounter for both teams, but I'm sure we're not alone in that. You know, looking back to the fixtures last weekend, um, but yeah, you know, for us, it was important to try and do well because it was a really good competition for us last season. I think we got to the third qualifying round, which was a, a club record, and you know, our aspiration this season is to, is to match it or beat it, and that's what we want to do is to continue to try and raise that performance bar. But yeah, if you like it, it is a yardstick for. for our ambitions for the season, which is to try and get out of this league, whether that's by winning the league or by, you know, the, the playoff system, um, that's our ambition this year for sure. Well, you've got Biddeford away on the 19th in the next round. Do you think Lightning can strike twice in the same place? Uh, well, we're going to have to do a lot better than we did in the pre-season when we went up there. Uh, we were, I think, we got beaten five nil in that game. I mean, it's not about results in the pre-season; it's more about performances, getting minutes into legs. Um, and we were missing probably about half of our team that night. But uh, that said, they would have been missing players as well. And um, we were really disappointed in, in, in that friendly match. So um, hopefully that was a one-off. And um, since then, our performances have been a lot, a lot more positive. And I've no doubt that we will go there and, and showcase our best selves. And if it's good enough on the day, then great. Um, but we certainly will be going there. Yeah, we'll be going there as the underdog um, because they are the, the higher-level team uh, operating at step four um, I believe that we've, we've got the tools to, to go and compete and um, who knows it's the magic of the FA Cup Now you had a good win away at Saltash midweek but um, were you disappointed to drop homes, uh, drop points at home to Wellington on the opening day? Well first of all I have to credit Wellington for you know sticking to their game plan and getting themselves back into the game um, at half time the score was 2-0 and um, we were very much in the ascendancy and thought, in fact I thought we were terrific in that first half um, the second half 2-0 uh, is always a dodgy score and, and we probably had a few lapses in concentration uh, didn't kill the game off when we had opportunities to do so and when you don't do that at 2-0 um, teams will always get an opportunity um, there's, you know, their first goal is a little bit fortuitous in the sense that a lad had a shot deflected wickedly off our defender and wrong for the goalkeeper um, so it was more, it seemed more like an own goal, but you know it got them back in the game. And at that point, then elves are up. Um, we're trying to react to that, and then we gave away a penalty as well. So we, you know, we really did give them a helping hand. Um, that said, beyond that, uh, we still had opportunities to win the game and didn't take them. So, um, so yeah, so we learned from that in the second game against sort of Skoltash, and and then obviously we, we backed it up with a win at the weekend. So um, draws were a specialism of ours last year in the league. 
and it's something that we want to address this year and that's what we tried to do with our recruitment so obviously the first game getting off to another draw wasn't ideal but you know I, I can't sit here and just say um, oh that should never have happened because it did happen so hopefully it's a lesson and, and we will uh, move on quickly because the games can thick and fast yeah, they certainly do. Now, um, obviously, you've set out already your ambitions this season. If you know you want to go up, and you'll either do that as champions or hopefully, from your perspective, through the playoffs. But which sides do you think will be competing with you? Who do you think will be there or thereabouts? Well, I think you just got to look historically at what's happened with the league. So two seasons ago, uh, Tavistock and Exmouth got promoted, and then in behind them were Saltash and Mosel. Um, and then sort of Bridgewater were in around it as well and then obviously Barnstable came back down to the division last year and obviously what's happened at the back end of last year Mosel have now gone up Saltash was second and all right, their team is largely disbanded but in behind that you've got you had your Bridgewater Barnstable Buckland again so I think I think those teams um, along with ourselves um, Shepton Mallet are also a very well coached team um, and then you've got a couple of unknown quantities in there as well but I'd, I'd be surprised if it was anybody outside of those sides that I've mentioned now, I've got an apology to make because we never spoke after your Les Phillips Cup win last season and um, I thoroughly enjoyed my my trip to Tiverton. Um, I'm sure you did as as well. I thought you were the best team on the day. I hope Hopefully I won't lose any friends at Shepton um, um, by saying that. But, um, I mean, I, I could see from the... You know the, the the enjoyment at the end of the season, at the end of the match, the way that you celebrated the win, just how much it meant to you. I mean, what are your reflections on that day? Well, it was a brilliant day, and, and, and again, compliments to to, to to Shepton because I actually thought they were the better side for 15 minutes. For the first 15 minutes, they were the better side, and they forced us to change shape. Um, and that's a compliment to them. Uh, but then from that uh, moment, I did feel that we got a foothold in the game, um, and and yeah, obviously. You know, the history books only remembers the, the outcome, doesn't it? Uh, and for us, um, it was the first uh, Les Phillips Cup win in the club's history, um, but also the, the first Cornish win, I believe, uh, or from a Cornish-based team um, since it's been renamed as the Les Phillips Cup. So, so we were proud of that. Um, but yeah, it sort of backed up our, our senior cup win that we had, which is Cornwall's sort of version of the FA Cup, if you will. Um, and um, so, so to get that cup double was, was you know, a, a lovely end to the season. Um, but, but what was pleasing around that second final is that we actually performed after the first 15 minutes and performed a lot better in that one than we did in the previous cup final. Um, and, you know, football's got a, a, a... It works in mysterious ways, doesn't it? You know, going into that first cup final, which was the Cornwall one, I think we'd just beaten Mausol um, on the Friday, in the Good Friday derby. Um, in the league and so we were going into there full of confidence and then we we, we, we underperformed really and, and Milbert probably um, overperformed a little bit on the day which which you know made it a great cup final and um, and then so yeah so that set us up for um, the second cup final um, and, and in that one we got a, a much better performance which I was pleased about and then yeah as you said the, uh, the celebrations ran wild after that they certainly did now, on this week's episode of the podcast, we've been talking about the Love Football Protect the Game initiative. And yeah. um, um, obviously, it's a new initiative designed to uh, address the behaviour of players and uh, coaches, pr- primarily towards match officials um, in yeah. the game. I mean, ha- what's your take? How's it working at our level? Well, it's obviously very early. It's in its infancy. Um, but... You've only got to look at other sports to see how they treat officials to, to probably acknowledge that football's got a little bit of work to do. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen in rugby, um, to my knowledge, uh, certainly in the professional levels that you look at, and, um, you know, other sports as well. So, so I think football's got a little bit of work to do. Um, it's quite saddening that we've got to this point where we need to put initiatives in place to try and protect, um, you know, the referees. But ultimately, we, we can't play without them. And uh, regardless of what we may feel, uh, whether it's managers or players around a particular decision, uh, I've never seen a referee change his mind. And, um, you know, we haven't got a video assistant referee. Um, and um, ultimately, yeah, I, I just think, like, to my players, um, the, the messages are very much around leaving referees alone because I think only, you know, bad things can come of that. You know, cheap sim bins, um, cheap cards with dissent. Things that can come back and hurt you either in that game or another, like there's an accumulation of yellow cards or whatever. So, um, so yeah, it, you know, it, 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 we're at a time where we've had to put initiatives in place, which is actually quite saddening. But 
ultimately we can't play without referees so um, I, I think you know we just need to try and get on with our jobs which is playing football and let them do their jobs which is you know officiating the game now let's get back to the game uh, you've got Bridgewater up next that's going to be a real test isn't it yeah and um, you know as, as well as we did last season they were one team that we didn't manage to overcome with a victory so you know we're looking to address that this season uh, and we've got two opportunities at it in the first instance with the league game and the first one up we're at home and we're going to have to do a lot better than we did last season on the opening day where they came to our place and beat us 4-0 um, what I would say is that we're, we're a different animal now we're a different beast from that day if you will um, but, but you know that, that, those, those wounds are still there and uh, we'll be looking to address that and, and in order to address that we're going to have to be at our very best we had a great game against them up their place at the back end of last season I think it was two all overall but it had everything red cards, sim bins as you, you just mentioned about that and, um, and, and I think we, we got a 90th minute equaliser if memory serves me right but yeah it'll be a tough encounter and um, they, they've had a very good start obviously um, as, as they usually do they usually fly out the blocks and they've done that again this season so, um, so yeah, we, you know, we've got to be at our very best and uh, I'm sure it'll be a, a great uh, game for the neutral if there are any neutrals there on the weekend. Now, you've got some other games coming up soon against St Blasey and Brixham, of course, new members of our league. Now, obviously, you've had the experience of managing in the Western League um, last season and it's interesting to see that sides coming into the league do seem to need an opportunity to acclimatise. Um, so is that your take? Do you think that the, the new sides coming in are going to need an opportunity to settle? Do you think that that experience that you've got is going to give you a competitive advantage? I, I don't think they would be naive enough. You know, I've listened to, to their managers on, on either this podcast or different ones, and um, I don't think either of them strike me as being naive enough to think that games are going to be easy. Um, there are no easy games in the Western League. You have to be on it every single game. Uh, because if you're not, then, then you know it doesn't matter whether you're at the top of the league or the bottom, you can get overturned by anybody. So, uh, so, so we're going to have to be at our very best, like I said, not only Saturday, but in those games as well, um, to try and maximise any, any points return. I mean, St. Blasey, we played them last year in the Cornwall Senior Cup um, in one of the rounds, and we were the home team then. So we get an opportunity to go to St. Blasey, which is where actually played our cup final in that competition. And that's yeah, it's a cracking venue. Um, Brixham, I look forward to that as well. I've, I've not been there for many years since I was manager at Saltash, which would have been um, a few years back now. So um, I think we played them in a League Cup one year. But um, so, so yeah, so, so you know they're, they're going to be tough places to go. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know the, the newly promoted side will want to test themselves, and you only have to look at the results sort of over the you know the past couple of games. St. Blasey got. Um, a home draw against Shetland Mallet, who are a very good side in this league on their opening day, and then Brixham obviously um, very nearly pulled off a shock at, at, at Bridgewater the other, the other game. So, um, so yeah, they're not going to be easy games, and, and we're going to have to be at our very best. But you know that that's um, what, what you have to be if you want to. You've got any aspiration of either you know, winning the league or getting out of it, which is what we're aiming to do this year. So, um, so yeah, we're looking forward to each and every game. Uh, Ian, but but they're certainly not going to be easy because there are no easy games. And my thanks to Matt for his time. And finally, Tom, in our roundup of the FA Cup extra preliminary round, and we take ourselves to Tring. Why wouldn't we? With Nowsy and Tickenham, of course, <laughs> making their debut in the FA Cup, and what a debut it proved to be. <laughs> yeah, another another good away day for. For the Swags, 2-0 victory uh, at Tring. Uh, goals from Nick Buxton and Luke Osgood doing the business for them. So, yeah, um, I'll just say another, um, yeah, de- decent showing from Nelson and Tickenham. They, yeah, they're a club on, on the rise, aren't they? And it's uh, another another FA Cup game for them on the horizon. Uh, regular listeners to the podcast will have noticed that over the last couple of episodes, we haven't been playing our customary advert um, for Toolstation. And that is because they are in the pl- uh, process of providing us with a new one, not just a new one, but a special one for the Toolstation Western League podcast. Now then, this gives me an opportunity to develop a new skill, listeners, and one as a voiceover artist, a skill that I never thought I'd ever actually have the opportunity to develop. But here goes for the first time ever. Um, Whatever the job, with over 25,000 products in stock and ready to go, you can click, collect and conquer at Toolstation. There we go. I think we can <laughs> Nailed agree. It. You're going to have to do that next week because we can't have me keep on doing it. <laughs> We've got to have variation. 
Sounds good. <laughs> good. I'm glad you said that. Right. Anyway, moving on to the first division, Tom, and we're going to look at the games played on Saturday, the 5th of August, and we're going to kick things off at Bishop Sutton, who certainly weren't at the races against Wincanton Town. No, they weren't. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, another another good win uh, for Wincanton. They started started like a house on fire this year, a 4-1 victory, uh, and it was a strong uh, Strong second half that did, did did the business for them and helped them grab maximum points. Uh, Finley Madden had actually put the uh, put the home side ahead after 23 minutes, uh, but it was yeah. Um, uh, from there on, it was Wincanton's game. Uh, Jamie Thompson getting them level, uh, and then it was Cam Veer who scored the important goal to put them two one up, uh, and then it was Jamie Owen and Brad Pike uh, scoring pretty late on to to wrap things up. So another another win for for Wincanton to start their campaign. Now, moving on to Bristol Telephones, they took on an in-form uh, Radstock Town and the Miners continued their great start to the season. Yeah, they did. Another another side to uh, to have really hit, hit the ground running so far this year and another side to win away from home. Uh, quite a lot of those uh, in, in the first division on Saturday, which was interesting to see at this, this stage of the season. And yeah, as you say, as I said, uh, Radstock, another victory. Jack Farian scoring pretty early on uh, to put them ahead. And then it was a penalty in the in the closing stage from Kyle Thomas that helped wrap things up. So, uh, yeah, Radstock Tuna winners away at the Bristol Telephones. And most importantly, that makes it three wins from three for the Miners. Uh, and I started my conversation with Ray Johnson by reflecting on that incredible start to this season at quite a contrast to the way that uh, Radstock started last season. Yeah, to be fair, the boys have started on fire, but, well, they think they have. Um, I've got to keep banging on that drum to try and get them to calm down a little bit, really, because I think they're a bit above their station, some of them, so it's my job to keep their feet on the floor. But we've been pretty lucky in some of the games. I think if you spoke to Kai at Porter's Ed and, and John at... Um, Bristol Telephones, I think both of those managers will tell you that we we were really lucky to get the three points on that game, on those particular games that they deserved more than they got. So we just got to take keep going one game at a time. We've got a tough game tomorrow, uh, Brislington. So that'll be a test and it might end up bringing our lads back down to earth. You never know. But yeah, no, look, there's, there's no nothing bad can come of winning three games in the bank. So it's a, it is, it's a much better scenario than the start of last season. You're right. You know, you had a hard start to your time at Radstock, but by Christmas you'd managed to to start to turn things around. And I'm wondering whether what we're seeing now is a progression of the work that you started back then. When, when we first took over, we, we had like four players about a week or two before the start of the season. And, you know, we basically, our starting lineups consisted of anyone that had a pair of football boots and that was available, really. So, but as the, as the season went on, we didn't... Um, we didn't like whinge and whine about it. We just got on with our job, um, mixed it up with a few extra players, uh, like just one here and there. And then throughout the season, we developed a really good squad. Then into we, we had a good tour at the end of the end of the season, like a really well attended tour. And I think the togetherness that that brought was, um, you know, like, like we just to be honest, we, we we spent so much time with each other as a group. I think most of them have had a flipping guts full of each other, but it has brought the team together as a unit. So what was your pre-season like? Were you able to bring any new faces in? Yeah, yeah. We um, we brought in A.D. Harvey from um, Chip and Sodbury. We brought in Dan Jackson after a year out with a knee injury uh, and goal. Uh, Sam Hill's a big one in centre midfield. And Jake Reader from Bishop Sutton, one of the, one of the forwards. So yeah, we, we brought a few in. For me, the, the two main the, the main areas we wanted to fill was we, we wanted to get a goalkeeper that we were we, we were really really fortunate and happy to get Dan Dan done we, we got that done really early and we wanted to keep um, there was a, like a handful of players that we really really wanted to keep so that was that was our main point of business and in fact we got Sam Hill and Aidy's Aidy's on form as well They're, that's just like that's just um, you know an absolute bonus and, and those two really are on fire I can't back. I can't, I can't bang on that drum literally about how well they've played so far this season, those two. Yeah, really delighted with with our um, recruitment this year. Every manager will tell you they, they could do it one or two more. But, you know, that's just every manager. Now, I saw your game against Portishead. And um, you had to come from behind in that game. In fact, I felt you were second best, certainly in the first, in the first 45 minutes. Um, but you really did pull it out the bag in the second half. So that must have given you and the boys a lot of confidence. 
Yeah, I mean, at half-time, we, had, we we went in and we said at half-time it was flat. It, you know, it, it was so flat, I didn't even know. Like, it, it, I didn't even know that team that we were playing. It was it was just like they were... I mean, they went out on that Saturday before and it was like that they were on... It was like they were still hungover. We, we, we were awful. Um, we managed to get back into the game and after about half an hour um, and luckily we were able to dig deep and stay in the game and really we could have been three or four nil down after half an hour and uh, an, an incredibly just an incredible piece of um, skill from one of the least skillful players in our squad was, was uh, to chip the keeper from 30 yards Matt Kernock he, he's changed the game and we've gone on and won it and we've been able to hold on at the end so yeah, like like you said, like you said earlier, Kai would probably tell you that we were incredibly lucky to win, and um, I don't mind if we keep like robbing points off managers. But you know that that that's, that make me as happy as dominating, if that makes sense. Well, then you you had a, another stiff test, didn't you, on Saturday? Going to Bristol Telephones is never easy, and um, I mean John Allen's got a very good pedigree in the Western League. I mean, I mean you 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 know you came away winners there, but by the sounds of what you said earlier in this interview, it wasn't easy. I don't think anyone goes to telephones and think gets an easy ride there. I don't think that's what John Allen's about. I think for some of the players that he's got in, he's had for a considerable amount of time. And I think, you know, you know what you're expecting and you can kind of prepare against it. You can you can plot and plan and you can talk to your players to um, give them the heads up of what to expect. And I, I thought, you know, I thought we, we, scored, we scored early in the game and then had to withstand a little bit of pressure, some aerial threats, um, throughout the game and then luckily like, luckily, with about 10 minutes to go we got a penalty and was able to see the rest of the game out so actually we, it, it was one of those type of games where we were never 100% comfortable in it but I wasn't I didn't feel under pressure I didn't feel like we were um, we were like right up against it like say for example in the first half against Portishead so they, they'd analyse that and probably think that they, they were well worth the draw and, and I probably couldn't argue with them but we managed to score the goals at the important uh, the right end of the game, right at the start and right at the end, and you know we take the points. So the million dollar question then, Ray, is what are your aspirations for the side this season? By right, we're about sixteen or seventeen points away from safety so far. So that's that's but bearing in mind last season, I think that's the first place to look, and then we'll any anything once we get that, then we'll just keep, we'll, we'll see where we are. I'm being candid, obviously, but it, we can't compete with a lot of the sides in the league, you know, in terms of like depth of squad and all that sort of business. We're just enjoying each game as it comes at the minute. The lads are, the lads are enjoying each other's company, and um, you know, we just we, we'll just keep going. It's it, who knows, mate? Who knows? Like, we'll we'll find out more tomorrow, I guess. So you know, just we're not getting ahead of our well, the players might be bloody idiots, but I'm not necessarily getting ahead of myself. I just keep just keep turning up and keep trying to like, prepare the team as best as possible but I am preparing a better squad of players this year than I was last year well yeah we talked about the fact you've got Brislington up next um, obviously they are the, 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 the current league first division champions which other sides do you think will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season well the, the ones with the bigger bigger resources on paper you'd imagine um, Wincanton would, uh, would, would, would be there would be there or thereabouts I'd have thought um, they seem to have it all set up right to go in the right direction there. I thought, um, looking at fit, looking at the way Bitten's recruited over the summer, I'd, I'd be disappointed if they weren't in the top six or thereabouts. I, I genuinely think that it's going to be one of those leagues. And from speaking to the other managers so far, I think each team could cut each other's throat. I think that was actually a phrase that John used on the weekend, and he was right. I think I think there, you'll find this season a lot of teams will beat each other. So obviously, we obviously our next two games. I, I just mentioned Briz and Bitten, but. Um, our next two games of that, and we shuffle him back down the pack again. But you know, I, I think I think it's going to be one of those type of like you could lose twenty, thirty points in a season and still end up winning it. I think it's going to be that kind of league. I don't think that you'll I don't think you'll find anyone runs away with it. Well, one of the new initiatives that seems to have um, appeared uh, at the start of this season is the FA's Love Football Protect the Game initiative. Um, part of this is about what's going on. Uh, in the crowd and, and another part of this is about obviously what's going on on the pitch in terms of the behaviour of players and people like yourself towards uh, match officials I believe that there has been briefings so I mean what's your um, take on what you've heard so far um, we've had we had a talking to by the referee before the start of the warm the game first game of the season 
uh, quite a lengthy one as well. My, um, I nearly had, it was it took that long. I nearly had to have a shave again. It was basically just focused on they were going to like clamp down on on dissent, which you know, which is, might be a bit rich coming from me, but I absolutely backed that 100 percent and focus on uh, time wasting and getting the ball back in play or getting more game time for it. So that was that's kind of how I took what I took away from that, and I think. Um, oh yeah, I mean it, both of those are good ideas. Um, you know, they're both they're both the right way to go about things. I still think there's room in the game for a little bit of cleverness, a little bit of smart, a bit of streetwise uh, play. I, I, I genuinely do. I think there's, there's more than one way of winning games of football. I think you know it's not you're not always going to uh, pass it like Pep, are you? Do you know what I mean? It's it isn't going to be that way. Sometimes you have to. Like dig deep, and you know, and I and I don't think that I don't think that that, you know, I think if you as long as you're the right side of the rule, the laws, I think, um, you know, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to lose a little bit of um, game management like air quotes out of my team if that makes sense. But but but, but the, the the initiative is absolutely right. You know, I, I can't I can't fault the FA in that sense. Of, you know, try and get more more game time, more ball in play, and try and get clamp down on. Um, dissent is is one hundred percent the right thing to do. I mean, if we look at dissent and we look at players surrounding the the match officials, we even look at you know um, technical areas um, uh, approaching the the match officials, both the you know the the, the assistants and and the match referee. Notwithstanding what you said about the sort of dare I say it the dark arts of the game, but I mean, in a perfect world, if we take the emotion out of it. What what do you think the perfect relationship is between the technical area, the manager, and the match officials? How do you, how do you like to be treated, and how do you like to engage with a match official during a match? Well, how do I like to be treated by a ref? I couldn't give a monkey's how they treat me. If I'm being honest, it doesn't interest me one bit. I do all I ask for is is absolute consistency. So if you know if if if, the, if they're going to be hot on like winning headers for, through the back of people and then failing for that, then, then give them both ways. Don't just give them one way. You know, if, if, if there's comparable incidents uh, given for one team, I would like them to be given for both. I don't... So for me, the, the, the air quote relationship with a... I, I, I don't even learn their first names because I don't want it to become personal because it's never personal, even if I... Like, if I... I sometimes if I learn their first names, I think it becomes it, it can become personal, and I don't. And it's never personal. I, I I just think that I just think all I want is consistency. That's all I want. So, so if I know that something's happened in the first five minutes, that's going to get mirrored later on in the game, and I know what to expect. Like other people might not like being spoken to in a certain way. Some people, and that's up to them. But I, I'm not really I'm not really like interested in how they treat me. If I'm being honest, I'm just more interested in them making sure they get a higher percentage of their decisions correct and if any of them we, we do travel with the VO and if any of the refs will you know any of the refs will can be offered the, the footage from each game that we watch that we have um, if they want to train and learn themselves uh, now we have alluded earlier to the games coming up uh, for you um, obviously there's that Brislington game uh, midweek and then you've got Bitten at home at the weekend um, um, the, the games are coming thick and fast Last for you, Ray, in August. I mean, with you winning at the moment, I guess that's not such a problem. No, we've we've got a big squad. So basically, so some of our a couple of our best players last season, Will Osborne, Jack Farian, um, they they will go off to uni at some point in September. So, but they but the fact that they've been there through August and have been really good players for us so far this season has been a right bonus. So, obviously, when the games start fizzling out a little bit and going back to one a week. They'll, at that point, they go to university. So we've we've been able to recruit against losing them while still being able to have them during a busy period. So actually, we're not we're not upset with how we are within the squad, if that makes sense. So yeah, it is a busy period, but it's a busy period for all 24 sides. So it's not a you know it's no big it's, it, we we ain't going to change it now. I know um, some managers don't like it all through like that through August, and you know I would I'm not sort of. 100% in favour of it either but I understand the reasons why it's done and we I think every manager needs to sort of like say recruit against it if you can you know it's you know we just we just have to sort of suck it up really and it's easier for me to say I haven't got to keep I haven't got to play 90 minutes every week have I but 
you know, it makes it a lot easier. People, more, people have people more likely to turn up if we're women. But um, like we, we I'm gonna, we, we we probably won't train now to the middle of September. So the, you know, the lads, the lads are probably quite happy about that. And my thanks, as always, to Ray for his time. Uh, now let us move on, Tom, to Longwell Green Sports. Another big three-figure gate here. They took on last season's playoff finalist Shire Hampton but another great result for the home side yeah coming from behind to, to do so as well so they had as I say they were uh, in in, a, in the areas at one point uh, but long while going running out through on winners and as you say another another pretty decent crowd up there uh, Liam Oswin scoring twice and there was also Zach Felton getting on the score sheet uh, for the home side yeah and that was a yeah, pretty impressive result considering where where Shirehampton were at the end of last year, as you say. So uh, Longwell Green uh, getting a much needed win, uh, their first of the campaign. Two sides starting uh, the first division campaign, having been elsewhere last season. Middlezoy Rovers, who I am very keen um, to get on the podcast. We've not heard from them. And Bradford Town, of course, known to this parish, but they haven't been with us um, for a while. So these two sides met. Both of them have had good starts to the season. Something had to give. And it was to Wiltshire that the spoils went, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. So this was yeah probably one of the, the games of the week, obviously early season, but both came in with 100% records. And it was uh, Middlesbrough who actually started the better, uh, going ahead after 13 minutes. Uh, but from, yeah, that moment, it was... It was Town who who did did the business and ran out three one victors in the end. Uh, ben Wickens scoring pretty soon after with a header, so it made it made it one apiece. Uh, Thirty two minutes in, it was then two one to the visitors. Jack Wickham uh, scoring to to put them ahead for the first time, and uh, yeah, that was pretty much how it stayed for for the remainder of the game. So it was, the game was always in the balance, and uh, Middlesbrough did have the uh, the opportunity to get back into it, but it wasn't to be, and uh, Bradford pushed on. Uh, and wrapped up things pretty late on. Corey Gardner uh, scoring from close range, and they ran out 3-1 winners. Yeah, I think uh, Bradford mean business this season. It'll be interesting like to see how they, how they carry on. Well, we're going to... Plenty of midweek action, as we know, in the Western League at the moment, but we'll turn our attention, Tom, to Saturday the 12th of August, and um, which of the games in our Premier Division has tickled your fancy? I've gone for, I mean, it's pretty easy at this stage to to pick out the Bridgewater game, and that's probably what I've done. It's a little bit predictable, unfortunately. So they uh, they travelled to take on Helston, who, yeah, have had a pretty decent start. One win, one draw. Most Well, most teams have only played twice, so it's pretty early to not looking at tables, but you know what I mean, getting a getting an early grasp of how things how things look. Obviously, Bridgewater have started like, a, like an absolute train. So, yeah, tough, well, potentially tough away game for them at Helston. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if, if Bridgewater is still free from free uh, when we when we reconvene next week. And I'm going to go for an all-Somerset affair between Shepton Mallet and Welton Rovers. Um, Shepton Mallet, of course, uh, a fancied team. Finalists in the Les Phillips Cup last season will expect good things from them this season. And Welton Rovers, an injured, a wounded animal mm-hmm. after that schooling at the hands of um, Fairham Town in the FA Cup on Saturday. If you're going to get a bad result out of your system, it's probably best to do it in a cup competition, particularly the FA Cup, which I think, without giving away too many state secrets, it's highly unlikely that a Western League side is actually going to win. Um, So, Welton getting themselves out of that competition might not necessarily have done them any harm, but I think they'll have learned some harsh lessons on that performance. It'll be interesting to see whether Tom Smith can get a reaction away at Shepton Mallet, um, which, of course, is probably one of the most hospitable clubs uh, in our Premier Division. So um, I'm sure a good time will be had by all there. Two sides not separated by a great deal of distance, a derby atmosphere, and I'm hoping a very healthy gate uh, that will follow. And uh, we'll have a look in the First Division, Tom. What game catches your eye there? Ooh, I've gone for Bocco v Wing Canton. And as you said, there is quite a lot of midweek stuff. So I think both, yeah, both these sides are in action. Um, before we before we uh, before we met up this week, so uh, yeah, this could all change. But Wincanton currently sitting uh, with three wins from three, and they they travel to take on a Bocco side who've also uh, started pretty well. So yeah, I think that should be a, a decent test for a test for both sides. Yeah, one of the midweek games that we're not mentioning is Radstock against um, Brislington, or I should say Brislington against Radstock. So it'll be interesting to see whether their 100% record stays intact. So I suspect that will be a significant test. And just to follow it up at the weekend, they've Radstock have got another significant test at the hands of Bitten, of course, who've re-entered the, um, the first division this season. Um, so that will be another um, big game for Ray and the Miners. Um, there we go. Right then, Tom. 
Um, it's far too early to worry about the league tables, so we it won't is. do that. But we we will um, discuss your excellent bulletin uh, that we have been um, looking through, obviously on this week uh, on this week's episode of the podcast. Where can the listeners find that? It's on the uh, Toolstation League official website. Uh, yeah, there's a tab uh, along along on the, uh, the top, and you can also scroll down on the homepage. New area, oh, new new design, uh, but yeah, in the same place as it was as last year. So yeah, that should be should be accessible for everybody. Excellent, Tom. Thank you very much indeed for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you on next week's Toolstation Western League podcast.